invite you to take your Bibles and turn back to Daniel chapter 5. During Missions Month, we want to encourage you, um, if you have an ethnic background, that you could display kind of a different kind of wardrobe or dress, please do so. I have two models who we've hired for today. They're going to stand up right now. Mm. Uh, good, right? We are blessed to have 20 different nationalities in our church. That's very uncommon, and we thank God for His grace in that way. And throughout Mission Month, October, please feel free to wear them. I don't have anything special, and I'm planning on wearing them. And I want you to know, my wife needed, told me to announce this, I am Scottish, but I won't be wearing a kilt, so don't worry <laughs> about anything like that. All right. That would probably be the end of my job. All right, take your Bibles, Daniel chapter 5. This sermon could easily be titled, uh, Dealing with Pride Part 2. Um, you can see on the screen there's a slide I made, and um, just to give you an overview of where we've been, uh, without, without rehearsing it all. Um, so this is the outline we followed today, A Tale of Two Hearts, and Lord willing, next week we'll finish up Daniel, A Tale of Two Lions, Dens, and we'll finish up. But we've been doing a lot of contrasts. And today's story in Daniel 5 is very, very strongly like chapter 4. And, and I wrote down, kind of like deja vu. Have you ever had that in your mind or thought you did anyways? The feeling that you've been through a very similar experience before. You know, the NFL started, I think today is the first Sunday. Every year the NFL comes around, I have deja vu because I feel like I've gone through a losing season with the Detroit Lions all the time. So that's all I ever get with them. But you know what? This chapter is kind of like that because they're connected. It, four and five kind of go together. Both of the chapters uh, punish a Babylonian king for pride. Both of them have Babylonian wise men who cannot interpret God's revelation. Both of them, um, pro- both kings provoke God to wrath. Both of them are punished immediately as soon as the sentence is given by God. Both chapters repeat phrases about God's sovereignty, about he is the most high God, rules over all the affairs of men. Both of them have Daniel as the example of the, everybody else can't interpret God, but he can, he's the only one. So deja vu is the French word that means already seen. And if you read chapter 5, you think you've already seen a lot of this in chapter 4. But there are some differences, and they are pretty crucial, and I want to focus in on them today. Between, and you can't read this in the text, but between chapter 4 in Daniel and chapter 5 in Daniel, believe it or not, 23 years have taken place. And so Daniel is in his 80s somewhere. Nebuchadnezzar has died. And in that interval of 23 years, two other kings have come and gone. And they only had very short reigns, like two to four years each. And there was a span where another guy came on the scene that married seemingly Nebuchadnezzar's daughter, and his name was Nabonidus. He's not in here, but there's the Nabonidus cylinder. And in history, we've dug up artifacts that have his name and his reign. He chose not to reign from Babylon. He chose to be hundreds of miles away somewhere else and reign from there. And in his place, his son, which is in our text, Belshazzar rules. That's why when Daniel is rewarded at the end, he's rewarded as being the third ruler in the kingdom, 
Nabonidus being number one, Belshazzar being number two, and then Daniel would have been number three. Truly, this passage, like chapter four, is about the tale of two kings. But more specifically for us, it is a tale of two hearts. Now the Bible often puts two characters side by side, chapter by chapter, and sometimes like here in the same chapter. And when two characters are put side by side, the obvious importance of that is so that you would contrast and compare the two to each other. That was true with Joseph in the Old Testament in Genesis. Joseph and Judah are put side by side. Both Joseph is moral when it comes to women. Judah is immoral. Rahab and Achan. Rahab was outside the people of God, but she had the uh, she loved Jehovah or Yahweh. Achan was one of God's people, and he did not because he stole what wasn't his. And the contrast is obvious. Saul and David in the kingdom of Israel. Nicodemus in chapter 3. The woman at the well in chapter 4. Barnabas and how he gave his money. Ananias and Sapphira, how they lied about it. They're all put side by side in scripture. for The idea of you and I to contrast them. In our text, Daniel is going to rehearse in the verses I read to you. To Belshazzar, what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. And so I asked as I read the text, why would he take the time to do that? He's been called in by the queen mother. The handwriting has been on the wall. You read the Hebrew, Aramaic words, I should say. Only Daniel can read them and put them together and tell them what they mean. Why doesn't he go directly into the writing on the wall, tell him what it says, give him the interpretation? He doesn't. Instead, he goes into this explanation of what happened to Nebuchadnezzar, which seemingly is the distant relative of Belshazzar. In fact, the Bible says Belshazzar already knew the story of Nebuchadnezzar. So again, why? Why would he take the time to tell a story to a king who already knew the story? And the question is this. The answer is this. Because he wants Belshazzar to compare his heart to Nebuchadnezzar's heart. Can I say it even more so? Here's why he did it for you and me. Because it's possible after reading chapter 4 and seeing the pride of Nebuchadnezzar that you can and I can begin to think that pride, although a serious sin, is more of a setback sin. And by that I mean this, that if you get involved in pride, it can really deter you and derail the uh, promotions and successes of your life for a while, but then everything can return back to normal. And you could think, yeah, pride isn't good, but I can weather that. Chapter 5 is going to tell you, no, pride is far more serious than that. It's not just a set-back sin. Pride is a set-up sin. That if you continue in it, and you live in it, it will not just derail you for a while. It will destroy you forever. They call it the big one. It's not an earthquake, it's not a hurricane, it's not a tornado, and it's not even a tsunami. It's a meteor. And scientists have said that our world, and maybe sooner than you think, is due for a meteor to hit our world. Now, you and I don't realize this, but every day, and I mean every day, we have meteors who pass by our planet, 
and meteors that pass through the atmosphere of our planet. But they say that the big one is coming. And the big one, as they describe it, is a meteor that when it hits the atmosphere of of our world is about two-thirds of a mile across. If that large meteor, according to scientists, would actually hit New York City, it would, quote-unquote, detonate with the power of 100 hydrogen bombs. Let me give you an idea of how powerful that is. The bomb we dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki was an atomic bomb. A hydrogen bomb is 50 times more powerful than that bomb. So take atomic bomb times 50 times 100. That's what would happen if that meteor hit New York City. The estimation is at least a billion people would be killed. They also said if that same meteor didn't hit on land, it hit in the ocean, that it would cause a tsunami with a tidal wave that would go across the entire ocean and hit Tokyo, that the wave would be 800 feet high. That would be eight times taller than the Empire State Building. And they, again... Millions of people would die. Billions of dollars would be caused in damage. That's the big one in the scientific world. In the spiritual world, the big one, God says, is pride. Bigger than envy, bigger than greed, bigger than lust. The big one is pride. And you cannot read this chapter this morning, and hopefully if you're a believer... Come and ask the question, well then how can I keep the big one from destroying my life like it did Belshazzar's? Well, if that's going to be the case, you're going to have to know a couple of things about how pride works. And Daniel lets us know in his book those very things. The first one is this, if you're writing it down. You have to know this if you're going to live in victory over pride. That Number one, pride is a heart issue. We're going to concentrate on verse 20 through 23. So let me read it again. Daniel chapter 5 and verse 20. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly. See, when it comes to pride, here's what the scripture is replete with. That the heart of the problem is a problem of the heart. Pride always starts in the heart because pride at its root, is an inside job. Now, there's all kinds of external expressions and manifestations and demonstrations of pride, but you can tell, I can tell you this, pride starts in your heart. King Uzziah, 2 Chronicles 26, 16, says this, but when he was strong, when he got all the, four, the, the military built up, all the cities were protected, when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. Two passages in the Old Testament that many commentators think refer to the devil. Isaiah 14, 13, you said in your heart, and then I will, I will, five of them, I will, I will. That that was pride in Satan's heart. He says, I will be, lastly, like the most high. See, how did Satan fall? It started in his heart. Ezekiel 28, 17, again, talking of Lucifer. Your heart was lifted up and you became proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. See, even, see, great kings 
angels that were created by God were not above the problem of pride. Proverbs 16.5 says, Everyone who is of an arrogant heart or a proud heart is an abomination to the Lord. There is not a single person in here, whether you've been saved one year or most of your life, and you have a mature Christian, there is not one single person in this room, including pastors, deacons, or anyone else, who is immune from the big one, from pride. Please, if you're here this morning and you love God, do not estimate, underestimate the destructive power of pride, especially as you see it displayed in this passage. Two times in our text, once in verse 18, once in verse 19, Daniel writes and says, God gave Nebuchadnezzar greatness. As he rehearses that story to Belshazzar, he says, your ancestor, the one that preceded you on the throne, however they're related, if at all, the Bible says he was great and God gave him greatness. He gave him military greatness. He had conquered everyone in the known world at that time. He had political greatness. There was no rivals. There was no one trying to kill him or assassinate him. I mean, he was untouchable. He had personal greatness. He was riches and and wealth and honor and position. He had it all. And we would say today the problem with him was it got to his head. He got a big head. Have you seen those things in the NFL? You can order yourself this gigantic six-foot image of your head and put them on your wall. I mean, we would say today Nebuchadnezzar got this really big head. But the Bible doesn't say it that way. The Bible says, no, it wasn't his big head that was the problem. It's that pride made him have a small heart. It was a heart problem, not a head problem. Because verse 20 says, when his heart was lifted up, listen to this, and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly. What is it that he dealt proudly? Well, verse 27 says, Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar, hey, you know how you want to have God's mercy? You're going to have to break off your sins. And you know what pride manifested itself in, in Nebuchadnezzar's life was? He oppressed the poor. He oppressed other people. See, it didn't go to his head. It went to his heart. And it gave him a hard heart, the Bible says. My daughter is in nursing, so I texted her this morning, and I said, what is hypertrophic cardiomyopathy? That's a big word, isn't it? She says to me, Dad, it's when your heart gets hard. It gets kind of rubbery, and the muscle in your heart grows thicker, and it doesn't really get blood to the rest of your body, and it's a very dangerous condition. See, there really is a physical condition called a hard heart. Worse than that is what Nebuchadnezzar had. See, Nebuchadnezzar had a spiritually hard heart. And you know how he had it? You know what the symptoms were? He stopped caring about people. He got so high and mighty and so powerful and so wealthy, they thought his whole world was about him. And he started pressing people who were poor so that he could become greater at their expense. And see, that's what happens in pride. See, pride starts in the heart on the inside, but can I tell you this? It never stays there. Pride never stays there. It never stays on the inside. It eventually makes its way to the outside of you. And one of the main manifestations of it is how we treat people, how we see people. They are for my personal advancement. They are for me and my aggrandizement and my betterment. And everybody should be around me. 
and it came to the point where Nebuchadnezzar, see, he was the sinner of everything, or so he thought. You know, Copernicus, hundreds of years ago, and he almost got thrown out of the church for it, he came up with a theory that contrasted, or I should say contradicted, the theory of his day. Everybody believed in geocentrism, and that meant this, that the world is the center of our solar system. But he proposed a new theory, the one that we all know to be true today, and that's heliocentrism, which means, no, not the earth, it's not us, it's the sun that's the center of our solar system. And the reason he said it has to be true is this, because the earth doesn't have the gravitational force and pull to keep all the planets in orbit around it. It It's not big enough, and it's not powerful enough. Only the sun can do that. And see, Nebuchadnezzar came to the place where he believed in Nebuchadnezzar-centrism. That he was the center of the universe and that everybody's orbit ought to be around him. Think about me. All that kind of stuff. And God had to tell him, no, see, you're not the center. I am. I'm the center of it. And see, that could be you this morning. See, maybe you're here and God's trying to get a hold of your heart because you've stopped serving others instead you start you want people to serve you and you believe and have come to believe that you're the sinner and you know what you don't have time to serve others you don't have money to give to other people's needs it's not important as it might have been once in your life before you know why because self-gravity takes over god gravity in the solar system of your soul and when that happens it moves god and people out to the periphery and they cannot stay orbited in your life you do not have the power and ability in and of yourself to keep everything orbiting and guess what all the planets have vanished and you now alone think you're the center of everything It's only when God is the center of the solar system of your soul can you keep everything in its proper orbit and alignment. See, Nebuchadnezzar's pride was vertical to God, but horizontal in its outworking toward people. And the Bible says there's a result for that in verse 20. In chapter 5 and verse 20 says, His spirit was hardened, he dealt proudly with people, and here's what happened. He was brought down. Circle it in that verse because the contrast is this. He was lifted up in pride, but God brought him down. He was up, and then he was down. That reminds me of roller coasters. How many of you like roller coasters? How many of you still can ride them at my age? How many of you get sick on roller coasters? Oh, that is me. When I was 18 years old, I used to, I, I could ride everything there was to ride. The, is it the, the tilt-a-whirl or the tiki-twirl, whatever it's called, where you, you know, it pushes you and pulls you and you go in circles? And remember the one that went around in a circle like this and the floor drops out, those rides? Oh, I used to love those things. And I was riding the tiki-twirl, wherever it was, the, the twisted, I don't know what it's called, but, and I was riding, it was pushing me and pulling me and going in a circle, and I just had a whole bag of cotton candy. And it was a white ride. And the guy was standing there. He the troll, and I, I mean, every time it pushed, I was getting sicker and sicker. And so one time I put, pulled back and then pushed me forward. And I, what? Everywhere. All over the guy running the ride. His pants, his shoes, everything. And immediately, bam, the whole ride shut down. He walked over to me with 
puke all over him. He said, get out. <laughs> then was the beginning of I knew something was wrong. And since then, I cannot ride. Now, I got to the place where I got away from the circular things, and I, roller coasters were up, down. I go like, okay, and it's quick, right? A couple, three minutes, most. So I was good, and I can't even do those anymore. And that was hard because I grew up next to Cedar Point. I don't know if you've ever been to Cedar Point in Sandusky, Ohio, by Lake Erie, right on the water. And they have what's called the big one. And, and it's called Millennial Force, okay? The, if you've ever been on a roller coaster, you know, you go click, 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 all the way to the top. And your heart's racing because you're slow. You get to the top. Now, I've been in some hot, high ones, but when you get on the Millennium Force at the top, 300 feet high. That's 30 stories. That is, look how high the auditorium top is, 10 times this. So you're that high. You're all the way at the top, and then you go 80-degree angle, 93 miles an hour. That is Barf City for me, right? <laughs> But they say, and the guy on YouTube has this channel, and it's called Coaster Fanatics. And he says, it's all about the drop. He says, when you go on Millennium Force, it is an unforgettable drop. And I thought about that, and I said, you know what? That's what Nebuchadnezzar's life was. He was so high. He was so great. I mean, he was at the top of the world. And then he had an unforgettable drop. I mean, his whole life bottomed out. He went from the palace to the pasture in one day. He went from eating good to eating grass. I mean, that high to that low. An unforgettable drop. And why does Daniel rehearse all of that? For him, Belshazzar, and for us? Listen to this. Verse 22. He tells him he was driven from men, verse 21. He was like an ox, like a donkey. And you, his son, probably grandson or predecessor, verse 22, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. In other words, you're doing the same thing he did. And here's the rub. Although you knew all this, you have heard the story. You may have seen the story. And you learned nothing. You've learned nothing from it at all. See, Belshazzar is going to have a fatal heart attack spiritually. And Dr. Daniel is there to tell him, hey, you better start reading your spiritual EKG because you're about to ruin your world. And he's going to have this spiritual heart attack that's going to destroy everything. And he doesn't even know it. Hear me. But he should have. He had a history of people who had spiritual heart problems in his family, namely his grandfather. Nebuchadnezzar was arrogant, and he knew the story about his spiritual heart attack, and he knew the history of it, but he ignored it. My dad, before he died, had age spots right here on his hand, on his left cheek. I have age spots on my left hand and on my cheek. He had bad knees. I have bad knees. My dad has tendonitis on the top of his left foot. I have tendonitis on top of my left foot. He has this one finger that had arthritis, in the, so it started to twist. My finger's starting to do that. And I know the reasons why my dad died. Now listen, I know all of that, and I've been wa I watched, this is what my dad had. You know what the truth is? What he had, there's a good chance, if I can say that Christian-wise, 
I'm going to have that. I already have a lot of it. Now, what would you say if you know all of that about what happened to your dad, what things went wrong, and you, don't do, you just ignore it as if it doesn't exist? You would say, wow, that's pretty um, dumb. See, Belshazzar, he knew the history. He knew the spiritual history of where his grandfather was and what happened to him and how pride can destroy your life. And he acted as if it never happened. He just ignored it. Watch your siblings. Watch my sister. I watched my sister rebel against God and my family. I, I watched my sister uh, have to leave our house. I watched my sister not be able to make it through college. I I've, I've, I've watched those things. Now, my sister in her life has turned around and, and for God. But let me tell you this. I watched those steps. And, my, and I see what happens, the choices that she made. And here's what I think. I don't want to repeat a performance of that. That's not what Belshazzar did. So he had a heart condition, and he knew it, but he did nothing about it. And here's what Daniel says to him in 5.23. He says, you knew all this, but, see, but, but you, he says, have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. If you know all this, why would you do that? Well, let me ask you. If you came last Sunday and I preached part one on pride and God brought you here, here's what he might be saying to you. I brought you here last Sunday. I warned you about the pride in your life and I told you very specifically through God's word the things that you need to change, drop, change, break off. He says, here a week has passed and you're here this morning and you haven't changed a thing. See, I warned you last week that what pride is going to do to you and a week has followed, and you have done nothing, he says. And the question is, why? God's asking you, why in the world would I warn you, I would show you, and you continue to live as if I'm not going to do anything about your pride? So why did Belshazzar go directly against the Lord of heaven? Because he didn't listen. He never learned not from his grandfather, not from Daniel, not from anyone. Let me add a historical note. Most historians believe that while they were having this drunken debauchery of a party with a thousand of his lords, because the Bible says his wives and concubines were there, which meant they were worshiping false gods instead of the true God. They were using vessels from the temple, which God says dishonors me. It was filled with sexual immorality because of all the women that were invited there. He says, you're going to do all of this, God says, as a frontal attack to my very face. After you know who I am and what I did to destroy the pride. and You're going to do that in my face, he says. Add this to it. A week earlier than this banquet, Darius the Mede, also known as Cyrus the Persian had defeated his dad, Nabonidus, who lived in another part of Babylon, farther other side. A week earlier, he had defeated him soundly and destroyed the Babylonian army. Only a week earlier, only 50 miles from Babylon. Most people think that between the time of the battle and the time of this feast, that Cyrus and his army had already marched to Babylon, surrounded the walls, which were 87 feet thick, and we're beginning to lay siege to it. And that Belshazzar, knowing the Persians are outside of the city, thinks it doesn't matter. 
because he is impregnable and no one can get through the city. You know how they got in? They could not breach the walls. They could not get through the gates. There was no way in. But the river flew, it went right through the middle of the city under the gates and they stopped the water got dry land, in the middle of the night they walked through under where the water was into the city and took it without a fight. But Belshazzar thought it would never happen. So he gets God's vessels from his temple. See how we beat the Israelites? See how we destroyed them? They and their gods are nothing. Let me show you how nothing they are. And he puts it in God's face, thinking that they can do the same thing to the Persians, not knowing that he is done because one pride is a heart issue lastly pride is a hand issue and let me show you what i mean by that daniel's called in and the reasons he's called in on the night of the feast is because a person's hand has appeared on the wall and wrote the words that i read to you earlier and this this huge hand with a finger is writing on the wall and the bible says it terrifies Belshazzar so much that literally in the Bible it says his knees became unknotted at the hinges. And he was so petrified that it made him collapse on the ground. That's how afraid he was. And the Bible says in chapter 5 and verse 23, You brought in before you the vessels for your Lord, your wives, your concubines. You've drunk wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. And watch. But the God in whose hand, I drew a line between hand in verse 23 and hand in verse 24. Because I believe that the reason the hand on the wall came is because he resisted the hand earlier. See, if you don't submit to the sovereign hand of God and admit that he's in control of your life, see, you will move from his sovereign hand to his severe hand of punishment, which writes your doom on the wall. And the Bible says, the God in whose hand your breath is. Okay, ready? Everybody do this. Breathe through your nose real deep. Out your mouth. Can I tell you this? You won't do that again unless God says so. Do you know today that you got up and came to church, you and me? You know why? Because God said so do you know that you can still have the ability to talk and to see and to hear and to think and to walk and you're not in a bed and you're not in a wheelchair and you're not in assisted living somewhere where you have to have someone do everything for you know why that's true because god says so and in the hand of god and by the way hand in the bible whether it's god or someone else always is about power and authority and what Belshazzar and his arrogance didn't realize is that the very ability to walk and to all the things and even breathe was by God's permission. And you and I at times, to our shame, walk around as if life is in our hand. As if somehow we control everything. As if somehow our future and what's going to happen in the 24 hours that we're alive even today is somehow dictated by us. And Daniel says, you know what pride does? Pride thinks that you're in charge and not God. Pride thinks it's your hand that has all the power, when the reality is it's God's hand. 
and the God in whose hand is your breath, listen to this, and whose are all your ways, not some of your ways, not a few of your ways, all of your ways, all of them. You're not in charge, and it's time we learn it. I was writing this message, and I wrote down all your ways. And I went to write more, and my pit on the iPad didn't work. So I, I tried to push it with my finger. The page didn't work. I tried to go back to the original. It didn't work. I, the whole page I was writing on it had finished went blank. I think, okay, I get it. My pen doesn't work unless you say so. I can't write on the page. I can't even finish this sermon unless you say so. Is that how you think? Is that the kind of heart that you have? Pride dishonors God because it lives as if everything is in your hand and not his. And because he wouldn't submit to God's sovereign hand, God sent him the severe hand of judgment. And when he writes on the wall, he says, here's what it means. Your days are numbered. Isn't it kind of strange to think that there's a countdown of your life taking place? And the craziest thing about it was, he didn't realize that he only had hours left on the clock. He never knew it. He thought he was great. And in his arrogance, he thought, oh yeah, I know I'm not what I should be. Blah, 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 blah. I'm... And the countdown was almost down to zero, and he never realized it. And it says, scary verse, verse 30, it says, that very night, I mean, really? That very night. And here's what God did, ready? And he was over. God just said, I close my hand, and your life is done. Your kingdom is over. You thought you're all of this and this power and this might. Here's what God says. This is all I have to do. And it's over. He said, you know what? You should have humbled your own heart. You should have realized it's not about you. It's about God. He's in charge. And then he did this with Darius the Mede. And the kingdom was his. You and I are in the hand of God. Pride is a heart issue. Pride is a hand issue. And it's time for you to put your heart in God's hand. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, it's been a tale of two hearts. The question is, if you're able to be honest with yourself, what is really going on in your heart? I mean, really, I, not what you pretend and what everybody else thinks. What goes on in your heart? Are you in charge or God? Whose hand is it, yours or his? I would pray that you would learn from watching people who have destroyed their lives in pride. And don't let those lessons go by you. If you're a teenager, please 
Have you watched other teenagers? Have you watched people on social media, sports heroes, people who think they're the top of the hill, only to ruin everything, and the drop is so unbelievable? See, but we don't learn from that. We just listen and go on our ways, think, oh, that would never happen to me. And the clock is running. And for you and I this morning, God's hand is still open, at least right now. And if you were here this morning, maybe you'd say, Pastor Walker, I've never given my life to Jesus. I've never said, God, take control of my whole life. And I need to recognize that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and he rose again for my justification. And you know what? I want him to be the king of my life. I, I want him to take all my heart. He already owns it, but I want, him, I want to give it to him. I, I want to be saved. I want to give my life to him and surrender to him being the ruler let him be in charge of everything. I've never done that, but I want to. With every head bowed and every head, would you just raise your hand and say, Pastor Walker, pray for me. I need to give my life completely to God for the first time. Anyone? Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Here on the balcony. Perhaps with your heads bowed and eyes closed, you're a Christian today, and you'd say, Pastor Walker, that's two in a row. Maybe strike one, strike two, I don't know. Are you going to deal with your pride today? Can I tell you kindly, it's better that you deal with it than to let him deal with it. Humble yourself. Let him say, God, you're in charge. You're in charge of my marriage. You're in charge of my kids. You're in charge of my money. You're in charge of my morality. You're in charge of my priorities, my commitment. You, just you. Here's my heart, take all of it. If that's the desire of your heart, would you just slip your hand up and I'll pray for you as a Christian before we close today. Just slip it up. Say, I need to give him everything as a Christian. I need to let him be in charge, not me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone? Father, thank you for your message today. Thank you for dealing with our hearts. Forgive us for our arrogance, thinking that this message is for someone else. And help us to be humble. You've said in your word, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways, then, then I will hear from heaven. I pray as you are humbling those right now that have raised their hand, that you'd hear them because they are turning away from their sin to you. God, do a work in their hearts of transformation for your glory. We pray for Christ's sake. Amen.